Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. Uh, we've got a good show for you today. I teased it earlier in the week when I recorded an episode about the Big Ten schedule, a little bit of injury news, a little bit of basketball news, but um, I want to do kind of a, a year-in recap so far to to this point in the season. We're not quite at the midway point. Oregon's played five of their 12 games, so um, we're not quite there, but we're close enough to where we can actually look at the sample size we have so far and kind of get a good feel for who this team is. Um, we're going to do that. We're going to go through five things that we've learned about this team, five things that we still need to learn about this team, um, do a little bit of news about college game day up at the top, but good episode for you. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Like I said, we are going to do a, a bit of a year recap so far. Five things we've learned, five things we need to learn. Um, first, when I record this, um, before we get into that, when I'm recording this, it's Saturday morning. It just got announced that uh, game day, ESPN's college game day, is in fact going to Seattle next week for the showdown between number eight, Oregon, and number seven, Washington. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. That was kind of the expected location. There was a chance they would go to south bend to see usc against notre dame but they've been at notre dame a couple times over the past month or so so um it's not a shock not a shock that they're going to seattle for this game um a couple numbers for you this will be oregon's 29th ever appearance on espn's college game day the ducks are 17 and 11 uh when they are featured on the show um overall they're nine and eight on the road so they've got winning numbers in both um, both of those categories. Comparatively, Washington, this is only their seventh time on game day, which kind of surprised me a little bit, and only the third time that game day has ever, ever been to Seattle. So um, in those seven times, Washington is 1-6 all-time, and they are 0-2 when game day is in Seattle. So um, just a couple of numbers that I'm sure Oregon fans will love to see. Um, they will love to, you know, Definitely use those in some trash talk for Husky Hate Week coming up. So um, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the exercise. What we've learned so far about this Duck team and what we still need to learn going forward. 
All right, let's start with one thing that we've learned. Um, so far, one of the biggest takeaways I have, I think all Oregon fans should have, we've learned that Troy Franklin is as good as we thought he could be. Uh, you know, we're still going to see another seven to nine, maybe 10 games of this if all goes perfectly for the Ducks, but I don't think we need to see any more in order to declare that Troy Franklin is one of the best wide receivers to ever play for the Ducks. Um, I did a whole piece earlier this week. I did, I think it came out on Friday where I kind of projected ahead to what Franklin's year end stats could look like if he keeps up on the same pace through five games. He already has 32 catches for 535 yards, seven touchdowns. If you keep up that pace, he would end this year uh, in 13 games with 84 catches, uh, 1,391 yards and 18 touchdowns. Um, which for his career would be over 2,400 yards and 29 touchdowns. Um, that yardage would rank him, I think it would rank him sixth all time among Oregon wide receivers, and the touchdown total would rank him first by far. I think right now there's a four-way tie for first among Oregon wide receivers with 24 total. So um, that's just a, a little interesting look at what his career could be if he keeps up this pace, but Right now, it's safe to say that he's definitely one of the best receivers in the conference, um, one of the best receivers in the nation. Um, you look, he's tied for number two in the nation with receiving touchdowns, tied for number six in the nation for receiving yards with 535. Um, his only real competition in the Pac-12 right now for the top wide receiver spot is Washington's Romo Dunze, who has 608 total yards more than Franklin, but only four touchdowns, which is um, you know three less than Franklin. So regardless of where he ranks in the conference or in the nation, Franklin has done more than we could have asked to prove that he is an elite, elite playmaker and one of the best pass catchers that Oregon's ever seen. One thing that we need to learn, uh, I'm still looking, I'm sure all Oregon fans are still looking to see what the ceiling for linebacker Justin Jacobs can be. Um, you know, whichever way you look at this so far, Oregon's defense has been incredible. Um, they've got, you know, a top I forget what number it is in the nation, but one of the best total defenses in the nation, one of the best scoring defenses in the nation, their pass defense is great. Um, their run defense is decent, um, could be a little bit better, but you know, I think they're 26th in the nation. That's not bad at all. Um, but it's all crazy to say that they're performing this well. And arguably one of their best players, one of their best defenders has not been on the field. And that's Justin Jacobs, a six foot four, 245 pound linebacker that came over from Iowa. Um, he's probably one of the most underrated additions that Dan Lanning got in the transfer portal this year. Um, and, you know, he's, he's struggled with his health so far. He had a knee injury last year, at Iowa, that's been bothering him a little bit coming into Oregon. Um, he played throughout fall camp and was said to look, you know, incredible, be a, a really good player on this defense, but um, he had a little bit of a setback and he's not played yet this year. So there's an expectation that he hopefully could get back on the field after the bye week against Washington. He's been practicing a little bit that we've seen over the past week or two, albeit in limited fashion, but he went through full contact drills last time we saw him, which was before the Stanford game. So there's a real hope that he's going to come out of this bye week and be able to actually get on the field. Um, one of the things that, you know, most fans don't really know what to expect just yet because we haven't seen him play. And that's, that's fair to say. You look at his Iowa tape, you look at his stats and you've got high expectations, but um, I'm going to read this quote from linebacker Jamal Hill, who put it, you know, this quote, when you hear it should give you really high expectations to give you a lot of faith that, 
that Jacobs can be a, a really massive difference maker. So this is what Jamal Hill had to say. Quote, I'm excited for the world to see what he has to offer because he is a really special player. Like, really, really, really special. I feel like our defense is really good now, but when he comes back, he's going to give us that extra boost to get from good to great, honestly. End quote. Um, I, you know, Oregon's defense is already very good, like Hill said, but when you get a difference maker like like Jacobs and you put him in the middle, hopefully he can elevate them to an absolutely elite defense. Uh, we still need to see what he can do. We need to see what his ceiling is, but that's something that I'm probably the most excited for going into the second half of the season. All right, one thing we've learned. Offensive coordinator Will Stein is keeping the standard. Um, you know, that's that's one thing that Dan Lanning and the coaches and players talk about all year. They've talked about all years that they're not comparing themselves to to past teams or to other teams in the nation. They're comparing themselves to the standard. They have a standard at Oregon of greatness that they want to uphold. And we saw that standard kind of set with Kenny Dillingham last year. The Oregon offense was incredible, which was really fun to see after the Mario Cristobal era that brought on some frustrations offensively, uh, to say the least. But, you know, after Dillingham had a, such a great season and then he left for the Arizona State job, I think that a lot of fans were a little uneasy. Um, it feels like there was some concern about what the offense would look like going forward under Will Stein. I think that, you know, Stein has answered all of those questions and cooled all of those doubts so far. And so far through five games, I know it's a small sample size, but, you know, this offense is on a really, really good pace and their their numbers nationally actually look better than Dillingham's offensive numbers looked a year ago. So um, let me read through some of, these, some of these key stats that where Oregon ranked um, at the end of the year in 2022 and where they rank now in 2023. Again, I know that there's we've only played five games, um, still a lot to go. These numbers are going to change by the end of the year, but um, this is just a, a look at where they are right now. Scoring offense in 2022 ranked eighth. In 2023, they ranked second. Passing offense was 16th last year. It is 11th this year. Rushing offense was 14th last year. It's sixth this year. Total offense was fourth last year. It is second this year. And total first downs were second last year, and they are first this year. So obviously a lot more games to play. We need a bigger sample size before we can truly compare the two seasons. But I think that it's safe to say at this point that Will Stein has done a really good job of keeping the standard in Eugene. Obviously he's got great skill players, a great uh, mature and experienced quarterback and Bo Nix. It's that's, you know, Will Stein is not the one out there playing, but um, he's drawing up the right things for this offense and he's getting in the right position to succeed. And so far, I think that we've seen that, you know, this offensive standard can be kept. One thing we need to learn is similar to the offensive proficiency. We need to see if the defense can, hold up this proficiency in this elite play versus elite offenses. Um, it's, you know, it's fair to say that through these five games, the ducks have not seen um, the best competition just yet. Um, despite that though, their scoring defense ranks eighth, their passing defense ranks eighth, rushing defense, 26th total defense, seventh, uh, their seventh in sacks in the nation. And they are third in the nation when it comes to yards per play allowed. Um, you know, the, the level of competition has not been great. Colorado has a good offense. Hawaii has a good passing offense, but um, you know, Texas tech is decent on offense. 
Stanford's bad on offense. Portland State is just bad all around. So, um, you know, it's you can't really use these numbers and say, oh, look, Oregon is actually one of the best defenses in the nation. Have they beat everyone they've played and looked really good doing it? Absolutely. But um, you need to wait until they play some better teams to really say that this defense is um, absolutely elite. Fortunately, that's going to change for the Ducks going forward. After the bye, Oregon will face Washington, who has the number one total offense in the nation, the number three scoring offense in the nation. Not too long after that, the Ducks will host USC, um, and their scoring offense that ranks number one in the nation. Uh, they got Washington State, who's got a really good offense. Utah's offense, not great. Oregon State's offense, pretty solid. So, you know, there's going to be opportunities going forward for the Ducks to really, um, you know, rise to the level of competition. We need to see if they're going to rise. The defense is going to rise with it. Um, they're going to have their opportunities to really prove themselves going forward. Another thing that we've learned, um, there has been no setback whatsoever for this offensive line. Uh, one of the biggest questions that most fans and you know media members, I had this question going into the season. Um, it had to do with Oregon's offensive line and the fact that they were coming into the season with a new offensive line coach after Adrian Clem left last year for a job with the New England Patriots and how the line would do replacing four of the five starters from a year ago. So far, so good. Um, through five weeks, the Ducks have given up a total of three sacks, which is fifth in the nation. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson has the highest pro football focus grade among any interior offensive lineman in the nation. And right tackle Johnny Cornelius has gone 183 passing snaps without allowing a single QB pressure, um, which obviously ranks up near the top of the nation as well. So um, with those four new starters, with that new offensive line coach, it's fair. it was fair to ask questions about how this unit was going to hold up in the season. Um, there's still a ton of games left to be played. Oregon's going to face some better defenses, um, going to face some better pass rushes than they have so far. But um, at this point in the season, I feel comfortable saying that we've learned that, again, this offensive line, they're playing up to the standard. They they know that they're not really comparing themselves to last year's unit or the best units in the nation. They're saying, hey, we're, we're not looking at those guys. We're looking at our standard of greatness and how are we competing how are we playing up to that level of play? And so far, I think they're doing a really good job of holding that standard. One thing that we need to learn, um, are coaching mistakes coming? Uh, this was one of the few nitpicks that a lot of fans had a year ago. Um, you know, when Dan Lanning was a first-year head coach, there were some decisions that he made down the stretch of the season, often late in games, um, you know, aggressive decisions that ended up costing Oregon a couple of wins. Um, we saw it against Washington. We saw it against Oregon State. Uh, Landing, he's an aggressive coach, which, you know, 95% of the time is really good. But um, he showed last year that there were a couple of times where he got, I don't want to say over his skis, but he just, he made an aggressive call when maybe a more conservative call might have helped and it would have led to a win for the Ducks. Um there were a couple of times last year when that got him into trouble. I'm really curious to see how that plays out in certain situations this year, because um, Lanning is still proven this year to be an aggressive coach. He's gone for it on fourth down a lot. He's had fake punts. Um, he had that fake punt against Colorado. He's gone for two point conversions often. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to quantify this results on if these aggressive play calls hurt him or not because you know if the coaching mistakes don't come we're not going to talk about them i mean we're going to talk about how all the aggressive play calls worked but we're not gonna you know if they don't happen we don't talk about them obviously 
Um, you know, Landing is a year older this year, a year wiser this year as a head coach. He's, you know, he's smarter than he was last year. He'll tell you that, that he's learned a ton from his mistakes. Um, I just want to see if he's learned to pick and choose his spots a little bit better than he did a year ago. And I don't mean that uh, harp on Landing. I think he's a, a really good coach. I think he's a really good aggress- aggressive coach and um, does a really good job of picking his spots. But you know, there were a couple of times against Washington and Oregon State down the stretch last year where that aggressiveness got the best of them and ended up biting him, and the Ducks ended up losing because of it. So um, I just I want to see how that plays out the rest of the season going forward. One thing we've learned, um, I think that we've learned that Jordan James, running back Jordan James, is for real. Um, coming into this year, we thought that Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington were going to be the two-headed monster going into the season for the Ducks at the running back position. Um, and Jordan James, who had that you know goal line short yardage work, I think that he's proven so far that he can be a lot more than that. Um, he's He actually leads Oregon uh, in, in total touchdowns this year, tied with Troy Franklin for seven total, leads all running backs uh, with total touchdowns. He's second leading rusher on the roster. Um, of course, with the season-ending injury to Noah Whittington, James is going to need to step up more and shoulder more of that load alongside Irving. Alongside Irving, But um, with what we've seen so far from the sophomore, I think that that should be no problem. I've been really impressed with um, what we saw from him. And there was questions coming into the year about, you know, would he be able to hold, would he be able to handle more of that um, every down back role and not just be the goal line back, not just be the short yardage back. So far, the answer is a a resounding yes. He's looked incredible in that spot so far. One of the final things that we need to learn, uh, I still really want to see how this defense holds up against a very run-heavy team. Um, This this is an answer that we probably won't get for a few weeks. Um, But so far, Oregon's defense, contrary to last year, they've been really, really good against the pass, and that's because they've played a lot of really pass-happy teams so far. Hawaii passed it a ton. Colorado passed it a ton. Uh, Stanford actually ended up passing it more than I thought they would. But um, I just want to see how they do against a run-heavy team like Oregon State or like California. USC runs the ball a good amount. Um, You know, it's like I said, I I went through the defensive rankings for stats earlier. Um, Against the pass, Oregon's a top 10 team. Against the run, they're 26th, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's still really good. But it's probably according to the numbers, one of the weaker parts of their defense right now, still a a really strong ranking there, but you know, going forward, they're not going to play these pass happy teams as much. Of course, Washington out of the bye, they pass it a ton. They really don't run much. Washington state after Washington does not run the ball very much, but um, you know, then you get into the Utah's a little bit more. California has the number 12 rushing offense in the nation. Oregon State, the number 15 rushing offense. USC, the number 49 rushing offense. So, um, you know, they're going to have their chances to to really try and hold down the run. One thing we saw against Texas Tech earlier in the year was that the quarterback run is sometimes an issue for this defense. Tyler Shuck, uh, he put up over 100 yards of rushing, I believe it was. Um, that's something that this team needs to prove going forward, that that's not a hole in this defense, that they've got a really solid run defense. Um, you know, with the guys that they have on that defensive line, um, the guys they have in that front seven, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but it's just something that we haven't seen yet because we haven't had the opportunity to see it. So that's something that I'm going to be watching going forward. 
All right, the final thing that we've learned um, from this season of the five things, I think that we've learned that the Pac-12 is as good as advertised um, going into the – I mean, I'm actually going to stop right there. They're better than advertised. I think that it's really safe to say that. Going into the season, there was an expectation that the Pac-12 would be among the best conferences in the nation. Um, they had a handful of top 25 teams coming into the season. Um, and there was a thought that maybe a couple teams, maybe USC and either Oregon or Washington could end up contending for a spot in the college football playoff through five weeks. You know, the conference has far exceeded expectations at the moment. There are six pack 12 teams in the top 20 and three of those six teams are in the top 10 earlier this year before, you know, some of that conference cannibalization, happened um there were as many as i think it was eight pack 12 teams in the top 25 and at one point there uh four of those teams were in the top 10 when you had usc oregon washington and utah all in the top 10 so um going forward it's a bit hard to see any one of those teams running the table just because of the the level of talent in this league and just it's going to be an absolute gauntlet just looking at oregon's schedule i mean um you're going to have to play Number seven, Washington, out of the bye week. Follow that by number 13, Washington State. Follow that by number 18, Utah. Take a break. You get, I forget what Oregon State's ranked right now. I think it's around 15th. Um, another off game. And then you get uh, number nine, USC. So um, it's going to be tough for Oregon to run the gauntlet and not have one loss. It's be tough for any one of those teams to um, to finish this season undefeated in conference play. But, you know, you can see a path forward for Oregon or Washington or USC to make it to the college football playoff, assuming they don't lose more than one game, assuming they win that Pac-12 championship game. There is a real path for the Pac-12 to have a team in the conference, in the college football playoff this year. Um, you know, we've talked a, a number of times that it's it's frustrating. It's a little bit sad that this is the last year of the conference, that it's it's breaking up after this when it's been on such a high note, but I guess one good thing, if you want to look at the positive side of it, is that this conference is at least going out on top. And it's not one of those years where, um, you know, everyone's kind of beating up on each other and you don't have many great teams. You've got some really, really, really good teams in this conference. So um, it's at least good to see the conference going out on top. All right. The final thing that we need to learn, um, this one's off the field, not on the field, but I want to learn if another recruiting splash is coming this year. Um, Like I said, this is not a football story in terms of on the field play, but Dan Lanning and the Ducks have a big opportunity going forward in the recruiting world. Um, They right now have the number 12 ranked class in the nation, but they are reportedly in a really good position to land several blue chip players going forward, um, including a couple of five stars, uh, five star defensive lineman Aiden Breland uh, from down at, at Matter, Matter Day in California. He's announcing his commitment between Oregon and Georgia next Saturday. Um, Sion Lalea, I believe I'm saying that correctly, who is the number one Juco player in the nation, number one cornerback um, out of Juco. He's announcing on Sunday evening. So this will, that'll be either after you've listened to this or before you listen to it. Um, you know, the Ducks are in the mix there, along with Miami. I think Penn State, there's one other team, I forget who it is. Um, Oregon's also the heavy favorites to land four-star running back Jason Brown out of Washington. And then there's several flips, uh, potential flips down the road that the Ducks are still working really hard to get. Um, if you remember the whole the whole saga around five-star linebacker Justin Williams, 
Um, the Ducks were a favorite to get him for a long time. He ended up committing to Georgia. Um, same thing happened with five-star edge Elijah Rushing, who Oregon was longtime favorites to get. He went to Arizona, um, and then five-star running back Nate Frazier as well committed to Georgia. It sounds like, you know, if you look around, look at some reporting around, the Ducks are still in on all of those guys and still working really hard to um, get those guys back on campus, potentially flip them down the road. There are a lot of, obviously, a lot of ifs that I just I just involved, you know, um, if they can get Justin Williams, if they can get Elijah Rushing and and, um, and flip them, that, you know, it's, it's a lot of ifs at the moment. But we don't need to look back further than a year to see that, you know, landing in a staff, they've got a track record of closing strong, especially in the recruiting game. Um, it was only last December that they got commitments from five-star Mateo Uyengalele, um, they initially got that commitment from five-star Peyton Bowens, uh, who ultimately flipped to Oklahoma in one of the weirdest recruitments that's ever taken place. Um, they flipped Dalen Austin. They flipped Jaden Lamar on signing day. And then if you go to the late signing day in February, they had the whole drama with five-star Nicholas Harbor, who um, that's, again, one of the weirder commitments that's ever taken place. Um, he ended up at South Carolina, not Oregon, but just like 30 minutes before his commitment was projected to go to Oregon and then all hell broke loose. So, um, you know, Oregon did not get all of those players mentioned. They're not going to get all the players that I mentioned that they're in contention for this year. It's just, that's not how it works. It's not going to happen, but they proved last year that they are still in every recruitment until the end. And just because they may not lead now, just because they don't have a top 10 class right now, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And I, I kind of expect the same thing as last year to happen this year that, um, it may not, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it may not look great right now. Oregon has the 12 class in the nation. They're, they've got a really, really good class right now. Um, they just, you know, it lacks some of that five-star um, firepower, you know, but that, that doesn't mean that's, that's going to stay that way throughout the year. They're still setting up to be some major fireworks down the stretch. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Um, I hope you are enjoying your weekend, enjoying the bye week, had a nice refreshing week and got to relax and either play with the family, play with the kids, get out of the house, watch some college football, uh, whatever you did on this, this Saturday, this Sunday that didn't involve Oregon football. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're refreshed going into this week because it's going to be a big week. Um, this is, I forget when the last time was that I think this is the first time ever that Oregon and Washington have played each other when they're both ranked inside the top 10. Um, this is by far the biggest game on Oregon's schedule to date and potentially for the whole year. Um, these are the two best teams in the conference right now, and they're squaring off up in Seattle. College game day will be there. The crowd will be electric. The environment is going to be insane. Um, so just these next few days, it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. So. Um, I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it. I'll, of course, I'll be up in Seattle for that game. I'm really excited for that. Um, I will have a podcast out probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, we will hopefully get a guest on a, a Washington centric guest that we can talk about and, um, you know, break down this matchup and, and try and preview things. So um, be on the lookout for that probably Tuesday or Wednesday. I would guess Wednesday. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys later next week. Until then, take it easy.